for what's right We won't desert nor surrender We are soldiers till we die We're on the battlefield for Jesus Victory is our battle cry We're on the battlefield for Jesus Come and join our happy throng We're blood-washed, born-again believers And we sing a joyful song King Jesus is our mighty captain And it's Him we shall obey We're on the battlefield for Jesus Winning souls for Christ today Oh, victory in Jesus My Savior forever He sought me and bought me With His redeeming blood He loved me ere I knew Him And all my love is due Him He plunged me to victory Beneath the cleansing flood We're on the battlefield for Jesus Come and join us in the fight Though the enemy be all around us We shall not be put to flight By faith we know we have the victory And no matter what the cost We will fight to rescue hopeless sinners Not a soul must ever be lost Oh, victory in Jesus My Savior forever He sought me and bought me With His redeeming blood He loved me ere I knew Him And all my love is due Him He plunged me to victory Beneath the cleansing flood Amen and amen. I hope you're having a good Friday so far. Uh, YouTube doesn't let anybody know I'm on for the most part, uh, Brother Paul said, and I know they didn't let you know, Brother Paul. Uh, They don't like to let us know. They send out every so often you'll get... Uh, some kind of a notice once in a while, in a great while, there'll be some kind of a notice, but for the most part, they don't have any notices. Uh, they don't like my, I think they don't like my broadcast. That's what I think. What's wrong with these people? But, uh, anyway, that must be what it is. I must not be popular. That's, that's what it is. I, I just, uh. I, you know, this topic that I'm talking about today is the position that that we Bible believers hold on this topic is not very popular. So they they actually have proven they've actually proven that they shadow ban accounts. They shadow ban accounts and they uh, slow the numbers down and all that kind of stuff. That's just what they do. That's who they are. Uh, why? Well, because 
the truth hurts. The truth hurts. So I'm not going to get into Trump's news today. I'm going to wait. I did not get a dear AZ Bandit. I'm going out a week from Saturday here to get one uh, in black powder season. I My season was over, actually. I thought it was longer, but it wasn't. So the season was over. But that's okay. We'll just deal with it. Uh, but recent broadcasts, Kanye West's Hollywood Sacrifices, Farrakhan, and Mind Control. That's one that you ought to pay attention to. Uh, election Aftermath. Uh, now, I have a theory, but I'm not going to share my theory, my new theory with you uh, until um, next week. Maybe, maybe Monday's broadcast. I will come on and I will share with you my political theory for the Trump saga. So we'll wait for that. It'll be interesting, I'm sure. You'll love it because always Trump news is fun news. All right? It just is. I mean, who wants to follow Biden around? You know I'm not a, I'm not a Republican or a Democrat. I think they're both... Well, to be honest with you, well, I won't use that analogy. I'll use another one. Let's just say it the kind way they are two wings of the same bird. And they're held at a very foul, uh, where all cages, fouled cages are. And that, a fouled bird, uh, dirty birds are, and they're in the Pope's cage. All right, that's where they're at. But anyway, we won't. We won't talk about that today because really what we have to talk about is Mormonism. Now, why? Uh, well, here's why. And somebody let Cindy know, Cindy Nelson, that I'm talking about Mormonism. She's probably on here. Cindy's in the shadows. Cindy would like it. Talking about Mormonism. I'm going to go back in the archives, way back in the Wayback Machine, 2015, when I preached a series on Mormonism. And I'm going to explain to you. The reason I'm doing this is because, first of all, remember I threatened to do this. I said, I'm going to go back sometime and I'm going to do this. I'm going to talk about Mormonism again sometime. Now, I will say this, that my new broadcasts would be better, or my new power, I didn't do any PowerPoints with Mormonism, which I kind of wish I would have, but at the time I wasn't doing PowerPoints. I did those later on in the JW series in 2018, but back in 2015, I wasn't doing PowerPoints. That's okay, though. We'll kind of do an interactive thing while you listen to this sermon on and off that I'm going to play, and and you're going to hear me comment on my own comments and then add some visual illustrations live here, right? We're going to talk about this guy. We're not even going to finish talking about this guy today. This is Joseph Smith. Joseph Smith, number one, was a witch. Number two, he's a mason, a master mason. 
But we won't talk about that today. We'll probably talk about that Sunday. Or, excuse me, Monday. We'll talk about him being a witch Monday. Okay? Or, excuse me, a Mason Monday. But today we're going to talk about him being a witch. Because people are probably wondering, well, the Mormons, the women are dressed in modest clothing and they they go meet at the tabernacle. They they look like they sing holy songs. They they sure look like they're real Christians. So why in the world would they be supporting this? Now, they're going to have their excuses to why they're supporting it. Let me be clear. We have no truce with Satan. We have no truce with the LGBTQ community. None. We have no truce with Rome. We tell them very plainly, except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. But in order to understand why the Mormons are folding on this, you just simply have to understand the root. What I have tried to show since my ministry began years ago is that if the root is bad, the fruit is bad. The root of Mormonism is bad. So you're going to learn some things about Joseph Smith today. You'll learn some more about him next week. And you'll begin to understand why they are the way they are. And this is a good review. Some of you have never heard those sermons probably on Mormonism. I did those for a couple weeks back in 2015. In 2018, I covered the JWs extensively. I've covered extensively the SDA, Seventh-day Adventists. A few times. So, I've covered these major cult groups over the years. NBC News brought out this article, and it's all over the place. The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints said Tuesday it would back proposed federal legislation to safeguard same-sex marriages, marking the latest show of support for the measure from conservative-leaning groups. The nearly 17 million member Utah-based faith said in a statement that church doctrine would continue to consider same-sex relationships, same relationships to be against God's commandments. Yet it said it would support rights for same-sex couples as long as they didn't infringe upon religious groups' rights to believe as they choose. We believe this approach is the way forward. 
as we work together to preserve the principles and practices of religious freedom together with the rights of the LGBTQ individuals, much can be accomplished to heal relationships and foster great understanding. I need no understanding with them. My understanding is very clear. I have the mind of Christ. My mind has been renewed. I've been transformed by the renewing of my mind that I may prove what is that good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. I don't need to find agreement with you. I don't want to find agreement with you. You must submit to the God of the Bible or you will die and go to a devil's hell. Support for the Respect for Marriage Act under consideration in Congress is the church's latest step to stake out a more welcoming stance towards the LGBTQ community. Well, let me be clear. You are not welcome at Old Paz Baptist Church. You are not welcome there. You are welcome to repent and believe the gospel of Jesus Christ. You are welcome to turn from your sin, cling to Christ alone for eternal life. You are welcome to repent of your wicked fornication, your lascivious, perverted, and wicked lifestyle. You are welcome to do that. You are not welcome to bring your disgusting, perverted carcass to Old Paz Baptist Church, just like drug addicts, professing perverts, any of them are not welcome at Old Paz Baptist Church. The church is for the saved, not for the lost. It is for the saved. The saved are welcome, who walk in the spirit, who love God, who seek his face, who desire to follow in a covenant of obedience to Christ. They are welcome. For those who have repented and put their faith and trust in Christ, they are welcome. For those that turn from their sin. Patrick Mason, a professor of religious studies at Utah State University, said the church's position was both a departure from the continuation of its past stances, respecting laws yet working to safeguard religious liberty and ensuring they won't be forced to perform same-sex marriages. You really think so? You really think that law is going to protect you? Listen to what it says here. The faith opposes same-sex marriages and sexual intimacy. But it has taken a more welcome stance to LGBTQ people in recent years. In 2016, it declared that same-sex attraction is not a sin. Yes, a perverted fallen nature and following it is a sin. It is a sin. The Bible says it is against nature. It is a sin. Why? Because it's a because you want something that God does not want for you. That is sin.
you stupid fools. This is the same stance. This is the same stance that the SBC has taken, the Southern Baptist Convention. They are taking a stand and saying, well, and revoice in these other groups. Well, it's not a sin to be attracted. You know what? God will change your attractor. That's what God does. You're, you're predestined to be, when you're a saved child of God, you're predestined to be conformed to the image of Christ. Let me be clear. Biblical churches should never be interested in changing their position to make it likable to lost people. You want to damn people to hell for all of eternity? Turn your church into an opinion an opinion piece. Turn your church into a survey. You want to ruin people and seal their fate? Then put up what you believe. Put up what you believe as an opinion poll. I'm not a politician. I'm a preacher. I don't really care what you like. I don't, it doesn't matter to me. And what's the difference? They don't force us to do nothing. If two queers came in and said, you have to marry us. <laughs> you have to marry us. I'd be like, you can take your rear ends out that door right now or I'll have you removed from this premises. Thank you. Why? Well, first of all, that's just a meeting place we meet at. Second of all, there ain't no way on God's green earth you could ever force me to violate my conscience and, and play pretend with you. I know what marriage is. I'm not playing pretend with you. I'm not giving given over to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. So I would have no reason. You couldn't. Why? Well, what are you going to do? Take the building? Okay, take it. We just rent it anyway. We don't care. You can have it. You ain't going to do nothing to the church. Because you can't change the church. At all, period. But you see, that's that's the difference. They can affect those other churches. Oh, please, Mr. Governor, don't shut our churches down. Don't shut us. Let us meet in our building, sir. Let us meet it. Please, can I lick your boots, sir? We've done everything you've asked us to do. We'll shoot the shot in us. We'll do everything. Just let us do what you... Why? Why would you ask that filthy whoremonger to let you do anything? Why would you? It's not his church. 
It's the Lord's church. Well, they won't let us have the building. Okay, tell them to keep it. Okay, you can have it. See ya. Bye. Have fun with it. I don't care about your stupid building. Amen. You know, if more people thought like that, if more pastors thought like, what are you going to do if they take the building? Well, we only rent ours, so we don't really care what you do with it. If you really want it bad enough, you can have it. But we don't see things that way. We'll go meet in a barn. In fact, we have secret barn sermons. We have a whole catalog of secret barn sermons. And for $39.99, you can have access to all the barn sermons, all the sermons that were preached on COVID lockdown. COVID lockdown sermons. The barn sermons. <laughs> That's right. The barn sermons. At a secret remote location. The Barn Sermons. If you sign up right now for $19.99, you can have access to all the Barn Sermons. And you might even see Paul in his overalls. <laughs> anyway. Top secret. We'll save that for another day. Anyway, so when I saw this, I thought about going back and teaching on Mormonism a bit so I could explain to you why they're like that. Why are the Mormons like that? Well, their founder was an absolute pervert. Joseph Smith, number one, is a witch. Was a witch, sorry. Was a witch. Now we're going to go in the Wayback Machine. March 23rd, 2015. We're going to pick it up with that crazy preacher right there. Smacks in the face of a lot of Bible, doesn't it? Which we're going to get to, by the way. Anyway. In later sermons, we'll cover the occultism of Mormonism. We're going to cover Joseph Smith's occultism today. I'm going to tell you about his occultism. And uh, it baffles the mind. But again, he just changed the definitions of things, and he made and people just followed it and said, "Oh, okay, that's cool. I believe that." But you shouldn't believe that because it's a lie. Amen. But um, I want to. I, I want. I wanted to read something to you here. Uh, it's on page four forty-eight of this book, and I want to read to you something about what they believe about Joseph Smith. And this is the reason why. Basically, they say, "Hey, all of Mormonism is tied to Joseph Smith." Which is true. And if you, if you destroy the truth, uh, destroy the errors of Joseph Smith and prove that he was a liar and prove that he was a fake and a phony, then the whole Mormonism system crumbles. I agree. It does. So listen to this. Uh, this is what Brigham Young said. Now, Brigham Young was the, was, the, was the general that followed Joseph Smith. Okay? He was the one that came after him. And there's a lot to that guy, and there's a Jesuit connection to that guy, and I'm not going to go through that today, but I am going to go through that because he had a handler, and it was a Jesuit, and he handled him, and just like all the other cults do. Anyway, well now... Okay, so that Jesuit handler was DeSmet. DeSmet was a Jesuit. 
And he would be involved with the murder of so many people on the battlefield, the religious battlefield, Joseph Smith and some of the other groups at that time, he was on the battlefield for. We won't get into that today because I'm not prepared to share that with you, but we will. He says this, we'll now examine the character of the Savior and examine the characters of those who have written the Old and New Testament and then compare them with the character of Joseph Smith, the founder of this work. And you will find that his character stands as fair as that of any man's mentioned in the Bible. We can find no person who presents a better character to the world when the facts are known than, than Joseph Smith, the prophet and his brother Hiram Smith, who was murdered with him. No man or woman in this dispensation, listen to this, now listen closely, and I quote Brigham Young, no man or woman in this dispensation will ever enter the celestial kingdom of God without the consent of Joseph Smith. Every man or woman must have the certificate of Joseph Smith Jr. as a passport to their entrance into the mansion where God and Christ are. I okay, so stop there. The Bible says there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. But no, Brigham Young, who's in hell tonight, right now, it's always night in hell. He's in hell right now, along with Joseph Smith, that other witch. They are in hell now, and... They said that Joseph Smith was their mediator. I cannot go there without his consent. He reigns there as supreme a being in, in this sphere and capacity and calling as God does in heaven. <laughs> yeah, that's not at all, huh? He says this, I'm an apostle of Joseph Smith. All who reject my testimony will go to hell. <laughs> yeah, I would be doing it wrong. So sure as there is one, no matter whether it be cold or hot. Volume 3, page 212. He says, I will now give my scripture. Whosoever confesseth that Joseph Smith was sent of God, that spirit is of God. And every spirit that does not confess that God has sent Joseph Smith and revealed the everlasting gospel to and through him is of Antichrist. So what's he saying? He's saying, well, if you don't believe Joseph, man, you're of the Antichrist. Okay, so what did he do? He twisted scripture, didn't he? Because what he did do was take away from the word of God, didn't he? He changed and perverted the word of God, didn't he? That's exactly what he did. He changed and perverted the word of God. Because what does the Bible say? It says, who is a liar, but he that denieth that Jesus is the Christ. He is antichrist that denieth the Father and the Son. What did, jo what did Brigham Young just do? He denied Christ. Christ. Something wrong with you. He goes on to say this. Joseph Smith holds the keys of this last dispensation. <laughs> and is now engaged behind the veil in the great work of the last days. I can tell our beloved brother Christians who have slain the prophets and butchered and otherwise caused the death of thousands of Latter-day Saints, the priests who have thanked God in their prayers and thankfulness, thanksgiving from the pulpit, that we have been plundered, driven, and slain, and the deacons under the pulpit, and their brethren and sisters in their closets who have thanked God, thinking that the Latter-day Saints were wasted away, something that no doubt will mortify them, something 
to say the least, is a matter of deep regret to them, namely that no man or woman in this dispensation will ever enter into the celestial kingdom of God without the consent of Joseph Smith. From the day that the priesthood was taken from the earth to the winding up scene of all things, every man and woman must have the certificate of Joseph Smith Jr. as a passport to their entrance. So anyway, that's, by the way, this is, this is the Journal of Discourses by Brigham Young, page 289. This is an exact photocopy of this, okay? So, I'm not made, so this isn't like taken out of context. This is their paper. This is their work photocopied exactly from their, from their discourses. So no doubt about it, they said it. Now, if that be the case, okay, and they claim to be the only church, right, that's left, from that. But I, I, I really believe the Lord is going to use this for some people. I believe before you do a Baptist, I promise you that. You'll have a Mormon give you literature or a, or a JW give you literature before you all were gone for nearly 1,800 years. There was never a church. He said there wasn't. How did, how did, um, okay, so I'm going to move it forward a little bit, okay? Because um, moving it forward, we're going to talk about really who Joseph Smith was. How did uh, Ellen G. White, how did she get everybody to follow her? Oh, she just had a vision. She had visions, and everybody said, oh, well, if you have a vision, well, then, yeah. I mean, then we should follow you, lady, because you have a vision. So what did they do with Joseph Smith? Oh, he had a vision. Oh, well, you had a vision. Now, some people say, well, I don't think he really had visions. Well, see, I do think he really had them. And I do think people, I, I do think entities really visited him. I do believe it. Yep. Because of what he did and how he did it. I absolutely believe it was real, what he was saying. Now, you have to understand something about, about witchcraft. It doesn't always work you understand that it doesn't always work a lot of these guys are trial by error what they're doing because they, it doesn't always work because they if they don't do something right if they don't say it right if they don't say the say the uh incantation right if they don't draw if they don't um do the other things right then it's not going to work so it doesn't always work it's not foolproof you know what always works the word of god amen always has power Ephesians chapter 3, verse number 21. Unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. Okay. Now, Jesus said that he would have a church here, okay? And he would receive glory in the church. By we come to you, Joseph. You're the man. We got big plans for you, buddy. You're moving on up in the world. Yeah. He didn't even think it was weird. By the way. I've met men like that that have, have, have devils visit them on a nightly basis. And you know what they tell me? Well, it's, I mean, it's not, that, it's, like, well, it's not that big of a deal. I mean, it's, I don't see why you're so concerned about that. What? <laughs> what do you mean you're not, you don't see why I'm so concerned about that? I'm trying to figure out why you're not so concerned about that. That should bother you. That should scare you. And the guy's like, well, I mean, it happens. Not to Christians. Not yeah, I had a guy that... Uh was in our church at that time and he told me all kinds of stories about incubus and succubus and all these devils visiting him and everything else like that he thought that was normal and that i was supposed to just open the doors and bring him into the church and yeah that didn't happen not like you're falling off a log on this rock i will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it no it was a, everybody went to hell until joseph mormon came or joseph smith came around and started the mormon church that was it. Now, do, we, do, you believe, do you believe the vision or do you believe the Bible? 
Because here's what's happening today. You know what these people are doing today? And I've seen it, by the way. I've experienced it in this church, and I kicked them on down the road is what I did. Because the guy was defining the Bible by his vision. Mm -hmm. He had a vision, and he had uh, a demonic presence visit him and all this kind of stuff. And he's defining the scriptures by his vision. No, 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 no. You test all things by the word of God, not by your vision, your emotions, anything else. Everything is tested by the word of God, not by your vision. Yeah, see ya. If this isn't your authority, you have no reason to be here. People don't like that when you say that. They don't really like that. You're supposed to invite everybody in. No, I'm not. Show me that in the Bible. I'm supposed to invite everybody in. Always been those churches, Baptist churches, all the way through the centuries. All ten. That's right. That's right. And he said, said, but I want to ask you a bunch of questions. I said, well, I just want you you to know something. I'm going to ask you a bunch of questions. for you to go spring some in, but you know what? We don't. I want you to pay attention to these verses. Abomination of the Lord. And because of these abomin enchanter or a witch or a charmer or a consulter with familiarity, one that maketh his son or his daughter to pass through the fire or that useth divination. I want you to pay attention to these verses. Or an observer of times or an enchanter or a witch or a charmer or a consulter with familiar spirits or a wizard or a necromancer. For all that do these things are an abomination of the Lord. And because of these abominations, the Lord thy God doth drive them out from before thee. The Lord thy God, and and turn out, uh, verse number 15. The Lord thy God will raise up unto thee a prophet from the midst of thee and of thy brethren like unto me. And unto him ye shall hearken. But the prophet which shall presume to speak a word in my name, which I have not commanded him to speak, or that shall speak in the name of other gods, even that prophet shall die. And if thou say in thine heart, how shall we know the word which the Lord hath not spoken? When a prophet speaketh in the name of the Lord, if the thing follow not, nor come to pass, that is the thing which the Lord hath not spoken. But the prophet has spoken it presumptuously. Thou shalt not be afraid of him. I'm not afraid of Joseph Smith or his, or, or his, or his Mormon church. I don't believe it. I know it's based on... Or his celestial underwear. I'm not afraid of that either. On satanic lies. I know it's a cult. Amen. I've got some street preaching friends, Brother Paul, and they preach outside of all those big Mormon meetings. Know something left because they're he tried to they tried to come down there. It's because it's important for you. Okay, I can see it. It's pretty plain and easy to understand when you're doing the same procedures that God condemned, but you're trying to change the name of it. Well, I was I was born a day, but it wasn't yesterday. Amen. So one of the things that I was discussing here in this sermon is the fact that they practice occult. Uh, occult practices, and then they say, well, we're not witches. We're not doing... No, you're doing the same thing witches do. That makes you a witch. You don't get to do the things a witch does and then claim to not be a witch. That's what they were doing. So what I was talking about here is that very thing that, no, you're not going to get away with doing that. That's exactly what you are doing is witchcraft. And God gives his ministers, his preachers, some discernment. And some understanding and as believers to see some things in the book and understand what's really going on and to be able to to be able to look at some things. So where are we going to start it with Joseph Smith? We're going to start with his family. Okay, where he came from. I'll give you a little bit about his family here. But his family was steeped in astrology. The family started out in astrology. Now I'm going to tell you. No, not astronomy. Astrology. Right. Right. Difference. Difference there. Okay. Now. Uh, there's a major difference there, actually. Um, 
one is a is an occultic religion basically and the other is just the study of the stars actually god's creation so there's a difference in the two amen there's a major difference in the two. So anyway, but but they were in astrology. Now, I, I'm going to give you a theory that I have that I can't absolutely pinpoint 100% because I don't know where, where they came from. But this guy is going to talk about this a little bit. But I actually believe that their family was a very, on one side it was hereditary. They were, they were witches from, from, heredi- from a hereditary standpoint. I, I believe that they have, a, they have a long family line. Of witches in that family. I, I can't prove it yet, but I believe that's the case. Now, I'm going to give you some facts here. That So astrology is what I just showed you here. Um, whoops, not there. Right here. This is astrology. Daily horoscopes, monthly horoscopes, the, the month, the 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 daily prognosticators the monthly prognosticators the bible talks about uh they they look to the stars to tell the future and they were occultic and that's joseph smith the founder of mormonism his family was steeped in that okay that's that's his his mom was a they were witches that do substantiate some of the things that i'm saying here uh, but that's just a theory okay now i do know he was into witchcraft and he was a witch okay that guy was a witch and he was a mason, but we'll get to that later in the next, the next uh, message. But I, but I, I want to read you some things here. Now, this, this comes out of everything you ever wanted to know about Mormonism from John Ankerberg and John Weldon. Now, I don't agree with everything these guys say about everything, but their documentation is excellent in this, okay, in what they document and said. Now, the average Mormons are probably uninformed as to the occult nature of their religion. They do not know or will not believe that Joseph Smith was an occultist or that Mormonism had occult origins. Now, Wednesday, I'm going to bring you another message on the occultism of Mormonism and, I'm going to, and, and, the, and Joseph's golden plates, his golden grams. But we're going to talk about uh, Joseph and his, and his gold. I mean, honestly, I mean, you couldn't put all that information on golden plates. You couldn't even carry them. Right? Anyway, but um, we'll talk about that another day. But I want to show you the occultism from those people, the people that followed him. They were all, they were all witches. They were all in the occult. All of them were. All of his inner circle were stuck in there. And we're going to prove that later. Anyway, when occultism is practiced in a family, it is often transmitted to children by both education and, for lack of a better term, psychic transference. This power of transference is documented in the, uh, of transference is documented in the clinical research of Dr. Kurt Koch, uh, Cook and others as noted in such authoritative texts as Dr. Nader Folder's Encyclopedia of, of uh, psych, uh, Physical Science. Smith, uh, he was in occultism and may thus have been both hereditary and taught by direct instruction from his parents. As, do, as the doctor observes, in most cases, mediumship can be traced to as a hereditary gift. Now, you know what mediumship is, right? You know what that is, a mediumship? That means that you are a, a psychic medium, like you have devils running through you, like you're a medium for devils. Okay, that's what that means. Yeah, your vessel for. Okay, so yeah, let me, let me get this straight. Or let me explain this to you. They were a vessel just like the witch of Endor. Uh Saul goes to the witch of Endor. All right? To g- communicate with the dead. She was a medium. She had a familiar spirit that came to her and spoke to her. Okay? Right. That's that's um, and I agree with that, Paul. I wouldn't call them hyper dispensationalists. Even hyper dispensationalists believe the Bible. They might be wrong about how they divide it, but they they definitely believe the Bible. 
Uh, anyway, I don't agree with them, but they do. Um, they, this is just a plain old-fashioned witch's coven is all it is. That's all it is. And you're going to find out. And I, I'm so I'm glad I'm going back over this. I really am because I'm telling you, it shows you the root of why these people. Why? Well, because they are always sexual perverts at the top. All of these top level big groups, JWs, Mormons, uh, all of them. All of them are occultic. Like and, and, and yeah. And what did God say about that, by the way? He condemned it, right? He condemned witches. He condemned those that consult familiar spirits. All of those things, okay? If the heredity is not direct, it is to be found in ancestors, okay? Uh, significantly, as it is true for many other occultists, both of Smith's parents were involved in the world of the psychic and the occult. This explains Joseph's predisposition to such activities. I mean, it was like every, oh, well, no big deal, whatever. Not a big deal. For example, the Smith family and Joseph Smith himself were very interested in the ancient occult practice of astrology. This is not the accusation of enemies of the Mormon church. Understand this. So you're thinking, no, some crazy Baptist found this information, and he hates Joseph Smith, so he's hating on Joseph, and he's making stuff up about him. No, unfortunately, that's not the case. It's actually, uh, it's actually uh, but if perhaps it is the most academically qualified historian, Dr. D. Michael Quinn, who holds a Ph.D. in history from Yale. To counter the charges of anti-Mormon bias, we have frequently cited Dr. Quinn's extensive documented research. So I'm going to read you some things of what he said here. Now, this, this, this is a historian, okay? Um, this is a famous historian here that, that, that studied this. Now, astrology was important to members of the Smith family. Brigham Young stated in 1861 that an effort was made in the days of Joseph to establish astrology. The Hiram Smith family preserved a magic dagger inscribed with Mars. Mm. Now, I know what you're thinking right now. You're thinking, no, that stuff's not real. I know. Most people think, think that's not real. However, we see in the Bible cursed objects all over the Bible. Okay, That's why we just preached a message on ridding your house of cursed items, spiritual spring cleaning, and getting rid of all the cursed items. Mars, the ruling planet of Joseph Smith's senior's birth year. The Hiram Smith family also possessed a magic parchment inscribed with the astrological symbols of the planets and the zodiac. And Emma Smith Badaman family preserved a magic artifact consecrated to Jupiter. By the way, I the reason why I fast forwarded through that charged object part is because I no longer believe some of the things that I once preached about that. Okay, what what do you mean? Well, an object is only charged when it is used for the purpose of satanic use. But if you had some some uh, Disney Woody doll thing there, Disney's wicked, so you shouldn't support it. But it's not going to bring devils into your house. It's just stupid. It's dumb. It's not going to. Why isn't it? Because it's not being used for worship. It isn't being used to channel spirits. It's not being used for that. You know that if somebody has a Ouija board, then yes, that's a charged object. It's used to channel things. All right? When I was younger in the ministry, I allowed some things to influence me a little more than they should have, and some people, by the way. And that gets into superstitions, 
So some of those things, I, I believe you can be superstitious. And I believe I bordered on that in my youthful zeal against things that some of those things were just a little bit too much. It, it, it's not accurate biblically. What is a charge object? One that someone uses to channel spirits. There's not going to be an accidentally, if I forget to throw a teddy bear away or Winnie the Pooh away, I'm not going to have like 400 devils come into my house and, oh, Satan's got a foothold in the door because Winnie the Pooh's there. Quite frankly, that would make me superstitious. And after some maturity and learning, I can say to you, that I don't hold to that position any longer about every little thing. There's other reasons why I would not have Disney characters around me, not because they're charged objects, but because I'm to avoid all appearance of evil. So in other words, I'm not going to do anything that's going to cause my brother to stumble and watch a Disney movie or watch or support some sodomite agenda or anything like that. Joseph Smith, though, when he's using those daggers, he's using those things for magic. He is using those things. It's the intent into which they are used. A Ouija board is used to channel spirits. That's not being superstitious. That's what its use is. Okay? So I've grown, and the Lord has showed me that you know, some of those things you can get carried away with, like the charismatics. And I think I did. You know, I, I think I did, and the Lord showed me, you know, that's not what that is. There's a reason for, you know, some of these things. And as a matter of conscience, you shouldn't have anything that's against what you believe from the scriptures. But I think sometimes you can go too far, and I believe I did in some of those. It wasn't because I wanted to be, you know, um, you know, too hard or extravagant or anything like that. It was just because of immaturity, not knowing, not learning. And I believe God has showed me over the years that, you know, you're not going to have 13 devils come into your house because you got some toy in there. Or some Disney thing in there. You should get rid of Disney because it's perverted in a wicked organization that promotes wicked witchcraft. Right? That's why. So, anyway. I hope that explains that position. So, if you hear something from me in the past and you're like, oh, then you'll just reference that point into understanding. And maybe I should update some of those things, too, just so, so people... Because I you can get into superstitious. That doll ain't going to do nothing to me. That thing can't do nothing to me. I have the Holy Ghost of God in me. That thing can't do anything to me. I have the power of the Holy Spirit. I'm not superstitious. Neither would I harbor something that is used to channel evil spirits. Right? I wouldn't do that either. So you see the balance there? I hope that makes sense to you. Jupiter, the ruling planet of Joseph Smith Jr.'s birth. Based on interviews in 1886 with disaffected Mormons of the early... Let, let me back up, okay? Just a little bit so you don't lose sight of what we're talking about here, okay? Church membership, symbols of the planets and the Zodiac. An Emma Smith Badaman family preserved a magic artifact consecrated to Jupiter, the ruling planet of Joseph Smith Jr.'s birth. 
Based on interviews in 1886 with disaffected Mormons of the early church membership, one anti-Mormon wrote, the only thing the prophet believed in was astrology. This is a fact generally known to old Nauvoo Mormons. Historical evidence provides the exact or probable dates for the 18 of Smith's marriages. You hear that? Whoa. No, he didn't have 18 kids. He had 18 wives. Oh, and more concubines. 18 of Smith's marriages. And all of these wedding dates have astrological correlations. Okay, there you go. Did you hear that? All of them have astrological coordinations. He did it on purpose. It's like the Jesuits. They were masters of the Kabbalah. People wonder, well, the Jews are in charge and there's Kabbalistic Jews. There sure are Kabbalistic Jews. But the Jesuits are the master of the Kabbalah. They make them look stupid. They know so much about it. And they study dates and numbers and they have devils to help them to do it. And that's what this devil did. He married him according to the stars. Do you understand? Why? To get more demonic power to do what he was doing. The probability of mere coincidence diminishes in the, fact, in the view of the fact that there is an overwhelming pattern of astrological correlations in the marriage dates for Joseph Sr. and Jr., the only two members of the Smith family identified by neighbors as performing ritual magic. Whereas there is a corresponding lack of astrological correlation to the marriage's dates of other family members, this marriage pattern is, cons is consistent with an awareness of magic in the occult. As an example of the influence of astrology upon Joseph Smith, consider the following. Consistent with the claim by that his ruling planet, Jupiter, governed the hazel tree, Palmry, Palmra neighbors reported that Smith began using a divining rod, hazel was a traditional wood, in his early adolescence. The astrological dominance of Jupiter in Smith's life is reflected in an occult artifact of special significance to him. Joseph Smith's artifact was a silver Jupiter medallion constructed according to the instructions for making magic seals or talismans in Barrett's 1801 occult manual of the Magis. See, Smith knew exactly what he was doing, okay? He knew exactly what he was doing because he was a witch, and people don't want to talk about that. They want to just brush it. Oh, no, it was just, you know, a bunch of people were just fooled and just followed him. No, that's not what happened. He was a witch. <clears throat> One of his prized silver medallion, uh, on this prized silver medallion of Joseph Smith are the astrological symbol of Jupiter, a magic sigil of Jupiter, the magic sigil of the spirit intelligence of Jupiter, Jupiter's magic number, and the phrase in Latin, Make me, O oh Lord, all-powerful. Who's he talking about when he says Lord? Lucifer. That's who he's talking about. This Jupiter talisman, we're going to talk about that a little bit later, actually. But this Jupiter talisman has an amulet possessed. Hey, does anybody remember where Ellen G. White said about Jupiter? Huh? Ellen G. White, remember what she said? She said she had a vision. And in her vision, she saw good old Enoch. And good old Enoch was on Jupiter. To get more stupider. But that wasn't Jupiter. And that wasn't, or that wasn't Enoch of the Bible. That was a little Antichrist Enoch they make up from the book of Enoch, the Kabbalah. 
They're forgeries. It's what they are. They, they're fascinated with Jupiter. It's made them more stupider. Now listen, devils make you stupid. They make you smart, worldly smart, but they make you stupid towards God. Now, here's the thing I want you to understand about Joseph Smith. There is great power of Satan when someone is using deception to turn people away from the faith. It is sorcery. It is magic. Seeing alleged supernatural abilities that could bring wealth, influence, and power to its possessors. Associated historically with paganism, magic, and astrology, such implements enable the owner to contact the spirit associated with the stone and to make use of all its occult powers. Usually this could be done through magical practice. Now, we're not going to talk about any because I don't know any how, how he did it. I don't want to know how he did it. Thus, astrology was not the only occult interest of the Smith family. They also practiced ritual magic. Dr. Quinn observes, while the Smith family's belief in astrology can be demonstrated only circumstantially and inferentially, the Smiths left direct evidence of their practice of ritual magic. In addition to the magic dagger among Hiram Smith's possessions at his death were three parchments, layman's in occult terms, inscribed with signs and names of ceremonial magic. Think about this now. Palmera neighbors reported that Joseph Smith Jr. and Joseph Smith Jr., or senior and junior, were drawing magic circles in the mid-1820s. Are, are you listening? They were drawing magic circles by witnesses. Now, does this explain how millions of people would be seduced by these spirits and follow these people, and still today they still follow this? Does it make sense? I know, as Baptists, we would like to just forget that the occult actually exists. And that satanic powers and kingdoms of darkness. No, those, because if we don't talk about them, they won't really be there. Did you know that? So guess what happens? Baptists all over the country don't ever talk about it. So it's not there. So their people are seduced all the time because they don't talk about it. About that. See, so then it just goes away. And I of darkness, would he? I mean, he wouldn't really actually come as ministers of light. I mean, they wouldn't actually try to come and act like they were Christians, would they? Yeah, they would, and they have millions of people follow them today because they do it all the time. See, here's what you think, okay? What you think in your mind mostly is this. You think, okay, uh, yeah, okay, so we've seen the rise of SDA. We've seen the rise of all these other things. Well, I mean, who's going to take over the world then? I mean, you see all these people trying to do this, that's going to be. So what does he do? He raises up leaders everywhere. The mid-1820s, several sources indicate that Joseph Jr. engaged in folk magic activities during the summers of 1820s away from Palmyra, often in Pennsylvania. I'm going to give you some proof of that later. He took off and went, handled his little magic stuff somewhere else. Anyone who has studied ritualist, ritual magic knows that it can be a powerful and dangerous occult practice. It frequently involves the attempt to conjure spirits and to use them for secret and not infrequently evil purposes. This appears to have been true for Joseph Smith and his family. Joseph Smith Jr. apparently had an occult mentor named Lumen Walter. A fortune teller, astrologer, mesmerist, and necromancer. Quinn further observes that the magical milieu of the, of the Smith family included seer stones, astrology, talismans, a dagger for drawing magical circles of treasure, digging in spirit invocation, magic parchments for purification, protection, and conjuring spirits. 
The familial predilection to occult activity and powers can be seen in the fact that Joseph Smith had characteristics, supernatural experiences at a young age. Okay, what's your theory, preacher? My theory is that he was trained to be a witch down here. Because that's how they do it. Right? He was trained at a young age. Because the devil knows that Bible verse too. Train up a child in the way he should go. He knows that too. The original handwritten manuscripts of Joseph Smith's history reads this. I received the first visitation of angels, which was when I was about 14 years old. Smith's extensive use of occult practices places the origins of Mormonism. Okay, so I want you to think about this for a second because I'm showing you a few different things here. Now, understand this, okay, that... He was trained at a young age, hereditary. It was a hereditary training. Means that he learned to channel spirits with his talisman, his other things, at a young age. So, in other words, the first time he had visitations of angels was 14. And the first vision account in an entirely new light. Whatever discrepancies exist between the various accounts suggesting fabrication, the possibility can hardly be ruled out that Smith was a subject to actual spiritistic manipulation and manifestations. Indeed, it was the first vision itself that was crucial, not only in convincing Smith that occult activities were permissible, but also in further cementing his ties to occultism. In light of the efforts of ordained clergy to suppress folk magic, Joseph Smith Jr.'s 1820 theophany on the first vision is important, for by the early 1820s, the Smith family had already participated in a wide range of magical practices, and there is apparent magical con context for Smith's first vision. In this conversa conversation experience, God told Smith, now listen, he says that God told him this, that the teachings of the Christian clergy were wrong. Smith's vision of the divine would thus have given him every reason to ignore clerical instruction, including denunciation of the occult. So what did he say? Oh, my spirit told me that I was right. These spirits told me that I was right. I have this, so I mean, I must be right because God said I was. What's the Bible say about lying spirits that come? What does the Bible say about spirits that come? You think they're actually going to tell you the truth? Think it's how that works? Joseph Smith, Joseph Smith thought it was the truth, didn't he? <clears throat> That's right. Joseph Smith Jr., of course, went on to experience scores and perhaps hundreds of spiritualistic contacts and encounters. And at last, some of these seem to have been achieved through magical ritual, having the direct intent of spiritual invocation. Consider one of Smith's 1823 visitations, as Dr. Quinn comments. I want you to listen to this. Because here's what people think. No, the guy's just lying. Nothing really came. Nothing really happened. Spirits don't do that. Come on. None of that stuff really happened. I know. That's what most people think. I understand that. Because they'd never seen anything before or dealt with anything like that before or seen devil-possessed people before or dealt with spiritual manifestations and things like that. So they think, well, you're just a Pentecostal if you believe that. No, you believe the Bible. It's real. Did you know that the Bible says, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood? Well, what do we wrestle against then? Principalities, powers, rulers of the darkness of this world, spiritual wickedness in high places. Did you know that those, the Bible says those aren't flesh and blood? Did you see that? It says that. Maybe you should read that again, then you would believe it too. Because he said, "Okay, because these men have the power of seducing spirits, right?" Now check this out. First uh, Timothy four twenty. We go to these verses a lot. 
but or four or two, sorry, not 20. Now the spirit speaketh expressly. So it's being very clear with you that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. This is Joseph Smith. Seducing spirits, doctrines of devils. As your, your wrestling is not with flesh and blood. There's a kingdom of darkness out there you're wrestling with. It's real. No, that's just preachers making that stuff up. No, that was God that said that in his word. Because, see, you just go, I, I, I'll challenge you. The details of the September 21st, 1823 visitation would have suggested that Smith's initial meeting with the heavenly messengers, i.e. the spirit, were the dramatically successful result of ritual magic. How did he get the spirit to come to him? He conjured it up. Anybody know what September 21st is? Anybody know what that is? It's an autonomous equinox. It's actually, a, it's actually a high day for the Illuminati for sacrifices. Oh, they don't really do that stuff. I know. Go back to sleep. All right. <clears throat> Specifically, necromancy, communication with the dead, or more precisely, psychomancy, the communication with the visible spirit of a deceased person. Now, you're going to see where he actually believed that all these familiar spirits that were coming to him were deceased people. You will see how the founders of Mormonism later on, at Wednesday, you will see that the founders of Mormonism had spirits come to them. They actually had Joseph Smith come to them, they said, and Joseph Smith gave them directions, and those spirits came to them and talked to them. And I, no doubt they really believed it was Joseph Smith. I, and to them it was Joseph Smith, but it wasn't. For those who shared a magic worldview, the times and seasons of Smith's 1823 experience would have directly applied to the instructions for spirit incantations by Reginald Scott, H.C. Agrippa, Era, Pater, Ebenezer Sibyl, and other occult works in the frequent circulation early America. Quinn explains how the background and characteristics of this 1823 vision precisely fulfilled magic. Okay, well, here's this. We'll get back to that in a second. But here's... The uh, Hiram Smith inherited this dagger from his father, Joseph Smith Sr. One side of the blade has the seal of Mars, while the other has the sign of the intelligence of Mars. The zodiac sign for Scorpio and the Hebrew letters for Adonai. The word Adonai inscribed on the knife was believed to help the wielder locate treasure and other inscriptions seem to be tied to magical writings by Henry Agrippa, a 16th century occult writer. The dagger is now owned by a private collector and no other known photographs are available. See this? The copy of the photo shows one side of the dagger with Adonai, Scorpio, and Intelligence of Mars. The copy of the photo shows one side of the dagger with the Seal of Mars. Bunch of witches. Right? Bunch of witches. So there you go. This is a little more interactive than when I first did this, but that's okay. Magical intent. Smith began praying late Sunday night on September 21st, 1823, that should be. Um, according to astrological guides, Sunday night was the only night of the week ruled by Jupiter. Now, why does that matter? Because that was it. He carried around his Jupiter talisman. Because he followed the stars and he practiced astrology. His family did. So the only time he could have that power manifest itself was when everything was right. Okay. 
Jupiter, Smith, uh, Jupiter was Smith's ruling planet, was the most prominent astrological symbol in the Smith family's golden layman for summoning a good spirit. They thought they'd summon a good spirit. There's no such thing. There's no such thing. Pseudo Agrippa's fourth book of the occult philosophy also specified that the Lord's Day was the occasion for man to receive an oracle from the good spirit. Okay, here you go. You want, uh, no, not good old Enoch there. That's, that's the other occultic. Not that one. Hang on. Here we go. What is a Jupiter talisman? A Jupiter talisman is a metal coin-like object with engravings of sayings and symbols on it. It's named after Jupiter because the symbols on it relate to the Roman god Jupiter. This particular type of Jupiter talisman that Joseph possibly owned originated in an 1801 book about occult philosophy, magic, and Christianity. The one Charles Bitterman said belonged to Joseph Smith was probably a silvery metal disc with a Hebrew number table on one side and astrological symbols on the other. Example of what the Jupiter talisman looked like. There you be, right there. So there you go. All right. Uh, there's a third-hand account that claimed Joseph had the Jupiter talisman with, with, with him when he died, but a legal declaration of things Joseph had on him when he died doesn't mention anything like the talisman. I'm sure it doesn't. I'm sure they kept that part out of it. What do you think? Probably so, just like they kept the Masonic rings that were sitting outside when Joseph Smith was killed, which we'll get into next week. Spirits. You see how wicked and deceptive they are? Oliver Crowdy, a Book of Mormon witness, wrote that Smith began praying earnestly that Sunday night about 11 or 12 in order to commune with some kind of messenger. Isn't the Bible enough? Why do you have to have some outward manifestation, some spirit, some voice, some other thing? Why isn't God's word enough when it plainly says? Why do you have to go seek after something else besides God's holy word? All the answers are here. These are the words of life. This is the power of God. Stop looking anywhere else for it. You won't find it. It's right here. Oliver Crowdery. A Book of Mormon witness wrote that Smith began praying earnestly that Sunday night about 11 or 12 in order to commune with, a kind of, with some kind of messenger. Further, the hour and day in which Smith prayed to commune with some kind of messenger was pinpointed in magic books as being the ideal for the invocation of spirits. That date. All witches know about that date. All of them understand autonomal equinoxes. All of them understand the equinoxes. They, they get it. They, they get it. As we will see in chapter 19, the basis of Mormonism historic fascination with necromancy, which continues to this day, can be traced to these early activities. Clearly, Smith and other Mormons, in harmony with occult practices of the time, did not at first identify these spirits as angels, but only as spirits. And anyway, we'll, we'll talk about that more um, later. I'm going to move on here. Um, you know, S Smith had a few. Let me see here if I want to keep going with this here. By the way, we'll, we'll talk about, you know, uh, from the perspective of his little lucky peepstone here that he had and, and, and that, he, that, he, that he divined with anyway. But um, you remember that in the SDA series we did Ellen G. White's vision that everything hinged on her visions. All of it hinged on her vision. The whole teaching of Ellen G. White's was just on her visions, not on the Word of God. So 
what do they do? They, they define the Bible by their vision. That's what they do. That's how they do it. Trail of his life. Now, here's his vision. Here's, here's what's called the first vision, okay? He said, after I had retired to the place where I had previously designed to go, having looked around me and finding myself alone, I kneeled down and began, by the way, this is from their website, so I'm not taking this, this is right from the Mormon SDA website, or Mormon uh, LSD, LSD, LDS. They're probably on LSD too, I don't know. <laughs> Joseph probably was for sure. <laughs> Sorry, I got those numbers, those letters confused. <laughs> What's that? Yeah. And after I retired to the place where I had previously designed to go, having looked around me and finding myself alone, I kneeled down and began to offer my desires of my heart to God. I had scarcely done so when immediately I was seized upon by some power which entirely overcame me and had such an astonishing influence over me as to bind my tongue so that I could not speak. Well, actually, it's kind of weird because you listen to this. Thick darkness gathered around me. It seemed to me for a time as if I were doomed to sudden destruction. But exerting all my powers to call upon God to deliver me out of the power of this enemy, which had seized upon me. Now, first of all, if God's going to make an appearance to you, why is a devil, why are devils going to come or spirits that he calls them spirits going to come first and kind of check you out first before God gets there? Ridiculous. Just, just more satanic deception. He said, all my powers to call upon God, deliver me out of the power of this enemy, which had seized upon me. And at the very moment when I was ready to sink into despair and abandon myself to destruction, not to an imaginary ruin, but to the power of some actual being from the unseen world. Who had such marvelous powers I had never before felt in any being. Just at this moment of great alarm, I saw a pillar of light exactly over my head and above the brightness of the sun, which descended gradually until it fell upon me. It no sooner appeared than I found myself delivered from the enemy, which held me bound. When the light rested upon me, I saw two personages, both brightness, with whose brightness and glory defy all description. Standing above me in the air, one of them spoke to me, calling me by name, and said, pointing to the other, This is my beloved son, hear him. Oh. My object in going to inquire the Lord was to know which of all the sects, sects, you know, the, the different churches, uh, was right, that I might know which to join. No sooner, therefore, did I get possession of myself. It's an interesting choice of words. And so, so as to be able to speak... Then I asked the personages who stood above me in the light, who comes as an angel of light? Okay, yeah. You know, this devil doesn't fool me at all. I want you to understand that. It shouldn't fool you either. These things are spiritually discerned. It's nothing but a bunch of demonic manifestations is all this garbage is right here. And who knows, probably Satan himself visited him, I'm sure. He says, which of all the sects was right, for at the time it had never entered into my heart that all were wrong. Well, I didn't think all of them were wrong, in which I should join. I was answered that I must join none of them. So this spirit told him, don't join any of those churches, for they were all wrong. 
And the personages who addressed me said that all their creeds were an abomination in his sight, that these, those professors were all corrupt, that they draw near to me with their lips, but their heart are far from me. They teach for doctrines and commandments of men, having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. It is so absolutely funny that he would use that verse. It about makes me sick because of what he's about ready to teach everybody. Yep. He again forbade me to join with any of them. So he said, don't you join any churches. And many other things did he say unto me, which I cannot write at this time. I'm sure. When I came to myself again, I found myself lying on my back, looking up into heaven. Sure he did. When the light had departed, I had no strength, but soon recovering in some degree, I went home. And as I leaned up to the fireplace, mother inquired what the matter was. <laughs> I replied, never mind, all is well. I'm, I am well off. I'm well enough off. Whatever that meant. I then said to my mother, I have learned for myself that the Presbyterianism is not true. It seems as though the adversary was aware at the very early period of my life that I was destined to prove a disturber and annoyer of, this, of his kingdom. Else why should the powers of darkness combine against me? Why the opposition and persecution that rose against me almost in my infancy? What was he saying here? He's trying to say that all these God-fearing people, and hey, listen, there were saved Methodists, there were saved Baptists at that time, there were saved Presbyterians at that time, they were God-fearing people. Amen? There's a lot of them that were out there. And what is he saying, though? He's saying, well, they came against me because they were of Satan. Do you see how the devil twists that? Do you see that, how they twist that? I've heard people, well, if a pastor has zeal for God and he stands up for the word of God and he preaches out that, well, you know, there must be something wrong with him. He's being led by the devil. Oh, I've heard people say things like that because you have a zeal against evil and wickedness. No, that's, that's wicked. You guys got a problem with it. You guys are wicked. Wait, we're wicked because we're standing against sin, but you're right. I saw two personages and they did in reality speak to me. I bet they did. I, I believe they did. And though I was hated and persecuted for saying that I had seen a vision, yet it was true. And while they were persecuting me, no, you know what? They weren't persecuting him. You know what they were doing? They were reproving him with the word of God. Amen. They were saying, no, you're possessed by devils. That's what's wrong with you. And he didn't like it because they called him out on it. I did the same thing, called a man out on it. Well, he didn't like it. He got mad at me. I've done that quite a few times with people that I've been around that have had these visions, these visitations, these feelings of everything, and then I take the Word of God and I rebuke them, and they don't bring Bible. They bring their visions and what they feel and and their conspiracies and everything else. We use the Bible, the Word of the living God, and the Bible is our, is our final authority on everything. If God's word doesn't say it, and if you're perverting God's word, then we depart from you. Got a little angry with me. And speaking all manner of evil against me falsely for so saying, I was led to say in my heart, why persecute me for telling the truth? I have actually seen a vision. And who, am I, who, who am I that I can withstand God? Or why does the world think to make me deny what I have actually seen? See, now, I, I wouldn't have denied it. I would have said, I think you did see it. I think you got devils, kid. Exactly. I wouldn't have told him you didn't see it. I was. I would tell him you ought to be very concerned that you saw something that was against God's word. You better have a problem with that. I believe you, kid. You want to tell me you saw you saw devils and they came to you? Then I'm going to take the word of God and I'm going to show you. You better repent and believe the gospel because you're in a lot of trouble. Because what you're saying is contrary to the scriptures. Jesus Christ said he had a church throughout all ages, world without end. 
So for some spirit to come to you and tell you there's no biblical church left, there's none, you're going to reform a biblical church because there's none in the world. Yeah, that's a devil for you. For I had seen a vision, I knew it, and I knew that God knew it. And I could not deny it, neither dared I do it. At least I knew that by so doing, I would offend God and come under condemnation. However, I want, I, I want you to understand something, and I'm not going to read it, but you can look it up yourself because I'm going to keep moving here. I've got a few things I want to do before we end this session here. Um, we'll talk about a few more things. It's going to be a little bit longer, and then we'll end this, and we'll pick up on the, the, the Masons here in a little while after we eat lunch and everything. Um, what did jo- so you would have thought that Joseph, after he had this vision and everything, what would he have done? You're, you're sure that he would not have joined any church, right? Well, he ran off and joined the Methodist church. Well, now, Joseph, why didn't you obey your... Yeah, Joe, what happened? You didn't obey your vision. You said you, you had this vision, you didn't obey it. He joined the Methodist church, and the Methodists kicked him out. So get out of here. He was like on the roll for like three days, and they're like, you get out of here with that stuff. They told him he had devils pretty that's basically what they said to him. Get out of here. You're possessed. You're wicked magic. You need to repent of your wicked magic. They kicked him out. All right. So he didn't obey his, He didn't obey the vision that was given him. All right. Um, now, we're going to talk a little bit about the... the, the uh, yeah. No, I'm going to skip that here for now uh, because I'm going to save that for another, another session. Um, uh, yeah, real quick here. So, uh, 67 here. Uh, Joseph Smith was a money digger, okay? That's what, do you know what that is? you know what a money digger is? Well, they take either a divining rod or they take a, 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 a charged object or a lucky stone or a peep stone and they go digging for treasure, okay? And they're employed to go find treasure that was supposed to be hidden all over the country at that time because pirates and that came up and down or whatever they said and all, all kinds of stuff anyway. Or they found the mound builders, okay? They found the mound builders in different, uh, you know what the mound builders are, right? Some of you understand what mound builders are. They were with the giant burial grounds and different things like that, right? Uh, so they find some of those, so he made up a big long story about it. But anyway, that's what he was. He was a money digger. Uh, and, and listen, Mormons try to deny this, but affidavits from the courthouse where he was charged with money digging and he was charged with basically taking advantage of people right they could be found okay and here they are in the salt lake city messenger for august 1971 we announced one of the most important discoveries since joseph smith founded the mormon church in 1830 this is the discovery by wesley p walters of an original document which is more than 140 years old this document found in norwich new york proves that Joseph Smith was a glass looker, they called him, that he was arrested, tried, and found guilty by a justice of the peace in Bainbridge, New York in 1826. So there's a photograph here. Here's, it was the state of New York versus Joseph Smith. Warrant issued upon the written complaint upon the oath of Peter J. Peter G. Bridgman, who informed that one Joseph Smith of Bainbridge was a disorderly person and an imposter. Prisoner brought before the court March 20th, 1826. Prisoner examined. Says that he came from the town of Palmyra. Palmyra? I don't know where that is. And had been at the house of Josiah Stoll in Bainbridge most of the time since he had small, in a small part of the time been employed by, by said Stoll on his farm and going to school. 
that he had a certain stone which he had occasionally looked at to determine where hidden treasures in the bowels of the earth were, that he professed to tell in the manner where gold mines were a distance under the ground, and had looked for Mr. Stoll several times, and had informed him he could find these, he could find these treasures, and Mr. Stoll had been engaged in digging for them, that at Palmyra he pretended to tell by looking at his, this stone where coined money was buried in Pennsylvania. And while at Palmyra, had frequently ascertained in that way where lost property was of various kinds, that he had occasionally been in the habit of looking through this stone to find lost property for three years, but of late had pretty much given it up on account of his injuring his health, of its injuring his health. Especially a photograph, especially his eyes making them sore that he did not solicit business of this kind and had always rather declined having anything to do with this business. Now, here's the original, here's the original court document photocopied right here this is the original court document that he was charged with okay and he is charged with this crime so you can find this you can you can still go get these um you know and and everything now so joseph stole he swore says that the prisoner had been in his house something hey here's his here's his peep stone uh let's see hang on let me get you the picture this was released by the by the Church of Jesus Christ of the Latter-day Saints or the Mormon Church, whichever Mormon Church. This was released by the Mormons here. This is the, these are this is a picture of his of his peep stone. Okay? So there it is. It's real. He had it and he used it. Right? A bit for trans a bit for transparency, the Mormon historian says physical objects help make the past more tangible. Yep, they're witches. They're still witches. That's why they're voting for like five same months sex marriage. had been employed by him to work on a farm part of the time that he pretended to have skill of telling where hidden treasures in the earth were by means of looking through a certain stone that prisoners had looked for him him uh, him sometimes. Wants to tell him about money buried in Ben Mountain. Okay, so they basically uh, the the, the sworn affidavit say that he actually found these things, or they actually they, they actually found these things. Now, Reverend Wesley Walters, being first duly sworn upon his oath, disposes and states this on Saturday, May twenty second, nineteen seventy one, while in Norwich, New York, I was shown by the county historian Mrs. May Smith where Chenoga County kept their dead storage, which was in back poorly lit rooms in the basement of the county jail. He said, I was able to return to Norwich. In the late afternoon, I went back to the county jail, accompanied by Mr. Fred uh, Pofferell, discovered two cardboard boxes in darkest areas of the room containing more bundles of bills, all mixed up as to the date, and some badly water-soaked mildewed. It was in Mr. Poffero's box that the 1826 bills were soon found. When I opened the 1826 bundle and got partway through the pile of Bainbridge bills, all of which were very damp and mildewed, I came upon first the J.P. bill of Albert Neely, and then upon the constable bill of Philip Dezang, and on the bill of Mr. DeSang were the charges for arresting and keeping Joseph Smith, notifying two justices, subpoenaing 12 witnesses, as well as a, a multimus charge for 10 miles travel to take him, with no specification as to where he was taken on the minimus. In my opinion, the bills are authentic. Anyway, so that's where they were. There's a copy of it there. Um, that stone, and he was supposedly stuck it in a hat, and he supposedly interpreted the, the Book of Mormon with it. That's how he found the truth with it. That, that, that's, that's what he had done, but he, in fact, did do that. Okay, um, 
so page 81 uh, of this book here, we're going to look at um, his, his uh, let's see, how he translated the Book of Mormon with that. With that. In the book- okay, so in his lucky peepstone, you're going to learn here that he used his lucky little, his lucky charm here, because he's a witch, and it translated the book for him. Uh, his Book of Mormon from his from his uh, from his lucky Charles uh, uh, Joseph in the in the chocolate factory, his Charlie in the chocolate factory uh, golden lucky plates, right? The golden lucky ticket. Uh, that's what he used because uh, he's a witch, and that's what they do. Witches deceive. Book of Mormon. We read, and the Lord said, "I will prepare unto my servant Gazalem a stone which shall shine forth in darkness unto light." That's in the Doctrine of Covenants. Gazalem is identified as Joseph Smith. Or June, J-U-N. Joseph Smith claimed that his Urim and Thummim, Thummim, which he also used to translate, consisted of two stones and silver bows. It would appear that as Joseph Smith fastened two of his seer stones to gather to make his Urim and Thummim, the testimony given in the 1826 trial shows that as early as 1826, Joseph Smith was using two different stones. So he had his magic stones here. At any rate, Joseph's father-in-law, okay, Isaac Hale, noticed a different, uh, definite relationship between the method Joseph Smith used to translate the Book of Mormon and the way he searched for buried treasure. This is his own father-in-law. He said this, I first became acquainted with Joseph Smith, Jr. in November in 1825. He was at the time in the employ of a set of men who were called money diggers, and his occupation was that of seeing or pretending to see by means of a stone placed in his hat, and his hat closed over his face. In this way, he pretended to discover minerals and hidden treasures. Smith and his father, with several other money diggers, boarded at my house. Young Smith gave the money diggers great encouragement at first, but when they had arrived in digging to near the place where he had stated an immense treasure would be found, he said the enchantment was so powerful that he could not see. After these occurrences, young Smith made several visits at my house, and while I was absent from home, carried off my daughter. Oh! into the state of New York where they were married without my approbation or consent. In a short time, they returned. Smith stated to me that he had given up what he called glass-looking and that he expected to work hard for a living. He also made arrangements with my son, Alva Hale, to go up to Palmyra and move his Smith's furniture to this place. Soon after this, I was informed that he had brought a wonderful book of plates down with them. The manner in which he pretended to read and interpret was the same as when he looked for the money diggers with the stone in his hat and his hat over his face. While the book of plates were at the same time hid in the woods. This is an affidavit of Isaac Hale, his father-in-law, as printed in the Susquehanna Register, May 1st. So this is his own father-in-law that's saying this dude was scammer. But what made the scam so real? Devils. Magic. The power of Satan to deceive. That's what. 1834, okay? Joseph Smith also had, had. Um, let's see here, translations. Okay, in a letter written in March 27, 1876, Emma Smith said that the entire Book of Mormon that we have today was translated by the use of a stone. David Whitmer, one of the three witnesses, admitted that he never did see Joseph Smith use what was later known as the Urim and Thummim, the two stones set in silver bows, this information is found here. He said, according to the testimony of Emma Smith and David Whitmer, the angel took the Urim and Thummim from Joseph Smith at the time of the loss of the eight, 116 pages. This was in June in 1828, one year before David became involved with the work of translation. David Whitmer would never have been present when the Urim and Thummim were used. 
All of this he clearly states in his testimony by Brother Trofber. With the sanction of David Whitmer and by his authority, I now state that he does not say that Joseph Smith ever translated in his presence by aid of Urim and Thummim, but by means of one dark-colored, opaque stone called a seer stone, which was placed in the crown of a hat into that which Joseph put his face so as to exclude the external light. There it is. In early Utah, the anti-Mormon paper Valley Tan accused the Mormons of using peep stones to see cattle beyond mountains 20 or 20 or 100 miles or even a greater distance off. The Mormon writer Arch S. Reynolds wrote a pamphlet entitled The Urim and Thummim in which he stated, From the earliest days of the church, that's the Mormon church, we have had many who have claimed to have had the power to see things in so-called peep stones. There are stones among the church members that are considered by some to be the means of their receiving communications from the unseen world. Okay, that's devils. That's, that's channeling. They charge objects, but they don't always work. That's what people don't understand. They don't always work. They're admitting that they're channeling spirits. The JWs do the same thing. When you look at their automatic writing, when we go back and we talked about that, if you look up the JW uh, PowerPoints that Luke and I did uh, back in 2018, what they, use, they do the same thing. They're using those objects to communicate with devils. It's not the object that has any power. It's the devils that they're channeling. That's what it is. Mormon apologists have a difficult time explaining the fact that Joseph Smith used a seer stone. Mormon apostle John A. Widstow asserted this. Some use was made, some use was made also the seer stone, and occasional mention was made of it. This was a stone found while the prophet assisted in digging a well for Clark Chase. By divine power, this stone was made serviceable to Joseph Smith in the early part of his ministry. There is no evidence that this stone was used in Joseph's sacred work. Notice the Apostle Widstow states there is no evidence that this stone was used in Joseph's sacred work. Yet on page 260 of the same book, Widstow states that Joseph did use the stone in his spiritual work. Mm. Before Joseph received the Urim and Thummim, he had a stone obtained during a digging of a well for Clark Chase. This stone, through the blessing of the Lord, became a seer stone, which was used frequently by him in spiritual work. What does a preacher need a stone for to do spiritual work? He doesn't. Mormons, therefore, continue to remain uncertain about how to handle these peeping stone activities. See, they didn't know what to do with it. Uh, then we're going to move on here quickly here to the divining rod that he used. What does that mean? It means they don't want to look like a bunch of stupid witches. Right? They don't want to look like a bunch of stupid witches. They want to look like Christians. Well, that's what witches want to look like. They want to look like Christians. The real sorcerers want to look like Christians so they can deceive the masses. Hence your Joel Olsteins, sorcerers. Hence your Mormon church, sorcerers. Hence Simon the sorcerer in the Bible, a sorcerer. They desire to be transformed as the ministers of righteousness, whose end shall be according to their works. He used a divining rod. One important change Joseph Smith made in his revelations was an obvious attempt to cover up the endorsement of Oliver Crowdy's, Crowdery's supposed gift from God to work with the divining rod. Below is a comparison of the way this revelation was first published in the Book of Commandments. 
And the way it has been changed to read in recent editions of the Doctrine and Covenants. So see, he changed it. Now listen, this is the trick of the devil. I want you to pay attention to this because this is what they do. They take spiritual, uh, uh, they take the occult work and they attach it to spiritual gifts. And they say it's a spiritual gift. That's what it is. See, it's okay now because we call it a spiritual gift. See, you guys believe in spiritual gifts, so we're not different than you. That's how they do it. Listen to what he says. In the book of commandments, he originally wrote, Now this is not all, for you have another gift, which is the gift of working with the rod. Behold, it has told you things. Behold, there is no other power save God that can cause this rod of nature to work in your hands. But then in Doctrines of Covenants, he says this. Now this is not all thy gift, for you have another gift, which is the gift of Aaron. Behold, it has told you many things. See how he changed it to the Aaronic priesthood? First he calls it what it is, a magic rod, mm-hmm. power connected to it, and then he changes it to the Aaronic priesthood. There you go. The money diggers used divining rods to find buried treasure. They were also used as medium of revelation. Those who used divining rods were at times referred to as rodsmen. Richard P. Howard of the RLDS Church Historian, he makes some startling admissions in his book published by his church. Now, this is a, this is a Latter-day Saints book. I'm almost done here, guys. Several writers have established that both in Vermont and in western New York in the early 1800s, one of the many forms with enthusiastic religion took was the adaption of the witch hazel stick. Uh-oh. We're not even hiding it. For example, the divining rod was used effectively by one Nathaniel Wood in Rutland County, Vermont, in 1801. Wood Winchell, William Cowdery Jr., and his son Oliver Cowdery all had some knowledge of and associations with the various uses, both secular and sacred, of the forked witch hazel rod. Winchell and others used such a rod in seeking buried treasure when Joseph Smith met Oliver Cowdery in April of 1829, he found a man peculiarly adept in the use of the forked rod, and against the background of his own experiments with with and uses of oracular oracular media, Joseph. Here it is, right here. If you want to see a picture of it, that's what it is, right there. That's a picture of one. Right, it's right there. There it is. Okay, there you have it. Smith, April 1829, affirmations about Crowdery's unnatural powers related to working with the rod are quite understandable. By that time, the Joseph Smith approached the reinterpretation and rewording of this document for the 1835 edition of the Doctrines and Covenants. He had at this time the experience necessary to place his 1829 assessment of the meaning of Crowdery's gift. What was the meaning of it? The religious or mystical meanings in which mechanical objects and water witching rods were used. In 1835, Joseph Smith's wording of this document left behind the apparent 1829 reliance upon external media. So he knew what it was. He was admitting what it was. Joseph Smith's interest in treasure hunting continued even after he published the Book of Mormon, says Ebenezer Robinson, who was at one time the editor of the Mormon paper. He says this, a brother in the church by the name of Burgess had come to Kirkland and stated that a large amount of money had been secreted in a cellar of a certain house in Salem, Massachusetts. Oh. Anybody know anything about Salem, Massachusetts? Yeah. So she, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, Yes. Yep. Robinson goes on to state, we soon learned that 
Four of the leading men of the church had been to Salem, Massachusetts, in search of the hidden treasure spoken of by Brother Burgess. Joseph Smith, Hiram Smith, Sidney Rigdon. We'll talk about Sidney Rigdon sometime. He's an interesting character. And Oliver Cowdery. They left home on July 25th and returned in September. Joseph Smith history tells us of this trip. What's Joseph Smith doing in Salem, Massachusetts? He's a little witch. On Monday afternoon, July 25th, in company with Sidney Rigdon, Brother Hiram Smith and Oliver Crowdery, I left Kirtland and arrived in Salem, Massachusetts early in August, where we hired a house and occupied the same during the month. On August 6, 1836, Joseph Smith received a revelation concerning this treasure hunt, which is still published in the Doctrine and Covenants in this revelation. We read the following. I... The Lord your God am not displeased with your coming this journey, notwithstanding your follies. I have much treasure in this city for you. Now listen. And its wealth pertaining to gold and silver shall be yours. Concern not yourselves about your debt, for I will give you power to pay them. Inquire diligently concerning the more ancient inhabitants and founders of this city. But listen to this. For there are more treasure than any one of you in this city. Mr. Robinson informs us that the treasure was never found. And Joseph Smith was unable to pay his debts as the revelation promised. But see, I think you're confusing some things here. If you think that, no, he wasn't there for money. What was he there for? His spiritual debts. It's spiritual. What was he there for? Well, look what he said. Look what the vision told him. Inquire diligently concerning the more ancient inhabitants and founders of this city. He was going there to get power. That's why he was there. Right. Did you hear that? That's what his whole point was to get. See, people like that like to gather power from other witches. You'll see Kanye do it with like Donald Trump. You'll see uh, Madonna. You'll see younger stars do it with Madonna. Like when Britney Spears uh, kissed Madonna, those kind of things, or Miley Cyrus, whichever one it was, they're all the same. Uh, that's what they do, because they're witches, and they gather power. Get it? He was going there to get more demonic power to search out an ancient one. Now study what, what, what talks about, um, I can't think of the guy's name, the guy that wrote on, on uh, the hip-hop um, can't think of his name right now. G. Craig Lewis. He wrote his, he did gather and worship them like gods. No, it's because of demonic power. And Joseph Smith went there to go get some more power. He searched out some ancient ones and he found what he was looking for when he went there. Because this vision said, yeah, you're going to find it out and you're going to be able to pay all your debts. Oh, he didn't care about the monetary debt. That wasn't, that didn't matter. It was all spiritual. You tell me why that guy went to Salem, Massachusetts, okay? Come on. It's ridiculous. All right. Then we're going to close here with Joseph Smith's talisman, and then we're done. I promise you I'll let you go here, and you can eat some dinner here, okay? Lunch. Sorry, Lee. Lunch. <laughs> Lee gets mad if I call it dinner or something. It's like, anyway. Get out of here and just go get done. What you got to get done? Nobody said you could talk. Get moving. Joseph Smith had a magic talisman. Keep going. Don't even say anything. (laughs) 
1974, Dr. Reed Durham, who was director of the LDS, I got it right this time, I didn't say LSD, that's good, okay, LDS Institution of Religion at the University of Utah and president of the Mormon History Association, made a discovery that was so startling that it caused great consternation among the Mormons, scholars, and officials. Now listen, what he uncovered made them very mad. Because they wanted this absolutely buried and hidden. They did not want this out. Because this proves that they're nothing but a bunch of witches and the Mormon, ta- the Mormon temples. All they are are high-level occultic yep. temples. That's all they are. That's, that's it. Not the normal people that you see go into the Mormon churches or whatever. That's not the temple. You have to have an invite to the temple. Why? Because it's secret. But we'll talk about that the next hour. Anyway, I'm gonna, but anyway, this Reed Durham, he was the director. Now listen, he's not a Baptist, is he? No. He's the director of the LDS Institute of Religion and Univer- at the University of Utah and the president of the Mormon History Association. So hardly a Baptist. Anyway, so Dr. Durham found that what had previously been identified as the Masonic Jewel of the Prophet Joseph Smith was in reality a Jupiter talisman. This is a medallion which contains material relating to astrology and magic. Dr. Durham, apparently not realizing the devastating implications of this discovery, announced this important find in his presidential address before the Mormon History Association on April 20th, 1974. <laughs> now listen to this. This had to be the funniest thing. because if you, if you know the truth of this and you're sitting there and you hear this, and you're not a Mormon, and you hear this, you 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 got to get a smile on your face, like you wouldn't believe, because this just outs them as witches. It just their whole foundation is witchcraft. It's not Bible. There's no Bible for it. I should like to initiate all of you into what is perhaps the strangest, the most mysterious, occult-like, esoteric, and yet masonically oriented practice ever adopted by Joseph Smith. <laughs> This is an historian. I mean, could you imagine this? This speech had to make them go. It it just had to. All available evidence suggests that Joseph Smith, the prophet, possessed a magical Masonic medallion or talisman, which he worked during his lifetime and which was evidently on his person when he was martyred. His talisman is in the shape of a silver dollar and is probably made of silver or tin. It is exactly one and nine sixteenths in diameter. The talisman originally purchased from the Emma Smith Biderman family, fully notarized by that family to be authentic and to have belonged to Joseph Smith, can now be identified as a Jupiter talisman. It carries the sign and image of Jupiter and should more appropriately be referred to as the table of Jupiter. And in some very real and quite mysterious sense, this particular table of Jupiter was the most appropriate talisman for Joseph Smith to possess. Indeed, it seemed meant for him, because on all levels of interpretation, planetary, mythological, numerological, and astrological, mystical mystical Kabbalism, (laughs) they don't leave anything out, (laughs) and talismanic magic, the prophet was in every case appropriately described. Could you imagine standing up? I mean, he just nailed every, everything that Smith was into right there from this and told this is exactly what this is. The characters on the talisman are primarily in Hebrew, but there is one inscription in Latin. Every letter in the Hebrew alphabet has a numerical equivalent, and those numerical equivalents make up a magic square. Oh. 
By adding the numbers in this Jupiter table in any direction, the total will be the same, in this case, on the Jupiter table. There is one side of the talisman belonging to the prophet Joseph Smith. You can see the Hebrew characters. You see on the margins at the bottom of the Jupiter is the Jupiter sign. The cross at the top represents the spirit of Jupiter. And you will see the path of Jupiter in the orbit of the heavens. And then again, Jupiter sign. I mean, this, listen, here's what people don't understand. Those symbols, and I'm going to show you some in the next hour. Those symbols mean everything to them. Do you understand that? There's Masons that are in churches, and they walk around with their ring on, and they just walk around with it, and people think, well, it's okay. He's not advertising, or he's not trying to recruit people. That is the recruitment. That's, that's the power right there. That's, they're telling you what they are. They're telling you what they're doing. They're mocking your God. They're laughing at him. Yeah, they do. Yeah, they do. Okay, so... That's right. Yeah, he said, so he said, I couldn't figure out what Joseph Smith was carrying around, so I went to a magic book to figure it out. Oh, you mean, you mean this leader of the Church of Jesus, finally, in a magic book? This historian said, I, had to go, I couldn't figure out what Joseph Smith was carrying around, so I went to a magic book to figure it out. Oh, you mean, you mean this leader of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints? That guy, the leader of a bunch of perverts that have too many wives? You mean those guys? Yeah, those guys. Yeah, he was nothing more than a witch. That's what he was, a high-level witch. That's all he was. Anyway, so I went to a magic book printed in England in 1801, published in America in 1804, and I traced it to Manchester and to New York. It was a magic book by Francis Barrett, and lo and behold, how thrilled I was. <laughs> this is weird. When I saw in his list of magic seals the very talisman which Joseph Smith had in his possession at the time of his martyrdom. L- listen to me. Let me help you with something. Let's go back to that. Thrilled I was. I went to a magic book printed in England in 1801, published in America in 1804, and I traced it to Manchester and to New York. It was a magic book by Francis Barrett, and lo and behold, how thrilled I was. This is weird. When I saw in his list of magic seals the very talisman which Joseph Smith had in his possession at the time of his martyrdom. Listen to me. Let me help you with something. That guy, Joseph Smith, knew exactly what he had. He knew exactly what he was doing. He was trained up from a child to be what he was. He was a high-level witch. And he was absolutely trained to do it. And their whole foundation is witchcraft. Here it is. To the Egyptians, Jupiter was known as Amon, but to the Greeks, he was Zeus. The, the ancient sky father or father of the gods. In astrology, Jupiter is always associated with high positions. Now, I want you to listen to this. What the, the power that these things bring, okay, with the demonic forces that are attached with the charge object, okay, uh, the satanic, and what he was able to accomplish. Now, listen to what this brings you. In astrology, Jupiter is always associated with high positions, getting one's own way. 
and all forms of status. And I qu- Okay, now I want you to listen to this last part. When they summon devils and they have this this talisman, this is the power that they're seeking after to do. I just want to leave that thought with you in here when you listen to this. Quote, typically a person born under to what this brings you. In astrology, Jupiter is always associated with high positions, getting one's own way, and all forms of status. And I quote, typically a person born under Jupiter will have the dignity of a natural ruler. He will probably have an impressive manner in physical appearance. By the way, he was, Joseph Smith was an accomplished wrestler. He was a very good wrestler. Like he would wrestle everybody. They, they, they talked about that in, his, in, his, uh, in, in some of his books. He will probably have an impressive manner and physical appearance. The highly developed Jupiterian is strong, personable, and often handsome. The Jupiterian influence produces a cheerful, winning personality capable of great development. So closely is magic bound up with the stars in astrology that the term astrology and magician were in ancient times almost synonymous. They meant the same thing. The purpose of the table of Jupiter in talismanic magic or magis was to be able to call upon the celestial intelligences assigned to the particular talisman to assist one in all endeavors. The names of the deities which we gave to you who could be invoked by the table were always written on the talisman or represented by various numbers. See that? Three such names were written on Joseph Smith's talisman. Abba, Father, El, Ab, Father is God, or God the Father, and Josephiel, Jehovah speaks for God, the intelligence of Jupiter. When properly invoked with Jupiter being very powerful and ruling in the heavens, these intelligences, by the power of ancient magic, guaranteed to the possessor of this talisman the gain of riches and favor, and power, and love, and peace, and to confirm honors, and dignities, and counsels. Talismatic magic further declares, declared that anyone who worked skillfully with this Jupiter table would obtain the power of stimulating anyone to offer his love to the possessor of the talisman, whether from a friend, brother, relative, or even any female. Do you think that's why he could go into a house and take somebody's daughter or wife right from him? And they would go with him? You think that's why? Mm-hmm. I do. Yeah. Because he was possessed and he was a witch and he put a spell on him and he walked in there and he had demonic power. What do you think the Antichrist is going to do when he... Uh huh. On the scene, and all the world's gonna love him. Why? Why are they gonna love him? Bewitched. Because he's filled with Satan's power. That's why. Folks, this stuff is real. Okay, you have a real enemy out there that hates you. Reed Durham was severely criticized by Mormon scholars and officials for giving this speech. He was even called in by Mormon President Spencer W. Kimball, and finally found it necessary to issue a letter in which he reaffirmed his faith in Joseph Smith and said that he was sorry for the concerns and misunderstandings that the speech had caused. We feel that Dr. Durham's identification of Joseph Smith's talisman is one of the most significant discoveries in Mormon history and that he should be commended for his research. 
Sure, he told the truth. He should be commended for the truth. Okay, that Joseph Smith would own such a magic talisman fits very well with the evidence from his 1826 trial where W.D. Purple, who was an eyewitness to the trial, claimed it was reported that Smith said certain talismanic influences were needed to recover a box of treasure. And we're, we're done here. I'm going to read this to you, and we're done this quote here. Mr. Thompson, as an employee of Mr. Stoll, was next witness. Smith had told the deacon that very many years before that, a band of robbers had buried on his flat box. Anyway, we talked about that. So, so he, uh, he... Anyway, that's good for that. I'll let you go with that there. And uh, But what does it give you an understanding of? It shows you exactly what they were into, exactly what joseph smith is now it begs the question you might ask why in the world is the roman catholic church supporting or not roman catholic i'm sorry <laughs> sorry that was a a little um why is the mormon church supporting uh homosexual marriage well i think you know why because they're witches. That's why. They're witches. That's the reason why they're supporting it. That's the reason why they have gravitated towards it. That's the purpose. Because they're occultic and their founder was a witch. Now I'm going to show you Monday, possibly. I'm going to show you that Joseph Smith was a master mason, not only a witch, but a master mason. And because he's a master mason, he stole the rights of the Masonic order and he was put to death for that. I believe he died because he tried to take the rights of the Masonic order. He was a witch. He was a mason. We'll talk about the Masonic order. Why does the Masonic order want to push sodomite marriage? Well, we'll probably talk about that next week. Why? Do, because they're disruptors of society. They're, they work with the Vatican, by the way. They work with the Jesuit order. They are the financial handlers of the Jesuit order. And they are part of the scheme. They are part of the plan. They all work together. Okay? That's who they are. They work together. All right.